0: those of you listening to us on the internet, to the men and women in our armed forces, wherever you may be on this Memorial Day weekend, to our members and guests here at beautiful Savior Lutheran in Milwaukee, grace be to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God upon which we base our message on this second Sunday after Pentecost is the gospel for this morning. You heard it read before from Luke chapter 7, I recall just these words. He was not far from the house when the officer sent friends to tell Jesus, Sir, don't bother. I don't deserve to have you come into my house. Jesus was amazed at the officer when he heard these words. He turned to the crowd following him and said, I can guarantee that I haven't found faith as great as this in Israel. In the name of our dear Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his all so that we might have everything, my beloved. You heard the gospel read uh, this morning about the uh, Roman centurion. Actually, uh, in this translation, it says Roman army officer who was really a centurion. On the surface, uh, you might say, well, this is a nice, simple story, simple description of a Roman centurion who had a very, as he called it, a valuable uh, servant who was sick, paralyzed, and dying. And uh, he sent an entourage to call for Jesus, and Jesus helped him and healed the servant. And so uh, the servant didn't die, and everything was fine, and everybody was happy. But if you look beneath the surface... This story is all about faith in the word of truth. And if you go even deeper, <clears throat> it is really a treatise on the two religions of the world. And you've heard me say it before from this pulpit, there, there really are only two religions in the whole wide world. The one is man-made And it has to do with performance and reward. You have to do something. And if you do enough, then God smiles at you and you get in his good graces. That's the religion of do. It's man-made. Then there's the truth of God, the only true religion, which says everything is done, D-O-N-E, through Jesus Christ. He did it all. He suffered on the cross as punishment for your sins. He has declared you completely not guilty and forgiven. Heaven is yours through faith in the mercy and grace and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Everything is done. Now, to understand this story, you really have to understand the ins and outs of a Roman centurion back in Jesus' day. Roman centurions commanded an, a uh, a group of men, soldiers, anywhere from 80 to 100. Centurion actually means 100, so they usually had about 100 men under their command. A centurion was a member of the senior staff of the Roman army. Well-trained, you might say the centurions were fighting machines. They wore the colors of Rome beneath their armor. Helmet on their head, sword in their hand, well-paid, in fact, wealthy. And whatever country of the empire they happened to be stationed in, they were there to carry out Roman law and Roman rule. And so it was they were hated by the Jews because the Jews looked at uh, anybody from the Roman army as, uh, as an occupying force in their land. Not only that, the uh, The Romans were Gentiles, or as the Jews would say, Goyim, pagan, as they worshipped the gods of Rome. And so they were hated by the Jews. The story, this account in Luke, takes place in the city of Capernaum. That's up north in the Holy Land in Galilee. That's where Jesus really made his hometown as a young man in his ministry. This centurion, you might say, was an anomaly. He really didn't fit. Uh, He had a very unusual relationship with the Jews up there in Galilee under his jurisdiction because instead of the usual Roman-Jewish relationship, which would be hate, his relationship with the Jews was one of love. He had heard about Jesus from the Jews. He had heard about the miracles that Jesus had done. And through the words, the word of the, the, that the Jews preached, which was in the synagogue, which was the Old Testament, this Messiah came to believe that Jesus, this uh, Roman centurion came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He recognized that there were no answers in the Roman gods, Jupiter, Venus, Mars, Neptune, He recognized that salvation came through Jesus. He understood the concept of the Messiahship and he recognized it in Jesus. If we don't understand that, this whole story doesn't make any sense that Jesus was amazed at his faith. Now, he was moved by faith to love the people, the Jewish people. He really shouldn't have loved them, but he did. And the people loved him back. In fact... He loved and believed in the word so much that he actually built them a synagogue. Just imagine that. You'd have to draw plans. You'd have to get the architects. You'd have to get the builders. And he did it all with his own money. He was also a man of compassion. He loved and valued that slave in his house. He recognized that all humanity, no matter what their station in life, they were valuable. And so he had pity regarding that man's painful paralysis, and he recognized that he was dying. And so it says he sent a a delegation of Jewish leaders, probably from that synagogue in Capernaum, to find Jesus to come and help. Basically, it was a plea, a plea, save my servant. And so, and here we get the wrong religion right off the bat. And so the Jewish delegation goes to Jesus and begged Jesus to come. Would Jesus be too busy? Would Jesus say, Oh no, this is a Gentile, I'm not going there? That's what they, I think, the, the delegation anticipated. And so they said, Jesus, he deserves, he deserves your help. You know why? He loves us and he built us a synagogue. He deserves your help. Wrong religion. They said he deserves a reward. He performed well. It just shows that, you know, so many Jews in Jesus' day, they didn't understand the real religion, that everything had been done by God. And so it was one of those performance and reward uh, types of religions that they propagated. And so they said, Jesus, this man, he's deserving. Look what he did. Jesus comes. When Jesus got close to the centurion's home, it says that the centurion sent out a second delegation, this time of his own friends. The words from the centurion, don't come into my house because, in some translations, I am not worthy. I I don't deserve you to come into my house. He recognized that he was a sinner and he didn't deserve Jesus' presence at all. He even said that he recognized the power of the word, the power of words. He told told the delegation, he said, you know, uh, and to to, to Jesus, you know, I got a bunch of, 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 of soldiers under me. I got a bunch of servants and all I have to do is say the word. And they go, if I say the word, come and they come. So you don't have to come. Jesus, just say the word. Jesus, it says, was amazed at the genuineness of faith. He said, this is a kind of faith I have not found in all of Israel. Because you see what the centurion recognized was not just what Jesus could do, but he recognized who Jesus was. And so there you have the centurion, an example of amazing faith in action, practicing true religion. To review this story once again, he could have treated his slave, you know, like uh, just a piece of property, let him die. Not worth it. He could have treated his Jewish neighbors as enemies. He could have continued to uh, worship his Roman gods. But it says he loved the word. So he built a synagogue out of his own wealth because he believed the word. Or to put it this way, you might say the centurion recognized his unworthiness. And so he practiced selflessness and he exercised humility. That's faith in action. Now, I could stand behind this pulpit on the second Sunday after Pentecost and tell all of you now go out and and be just like the centurion. Be more selfless. Exercise a little more humility. But that would be wrong. Because you see, selflessness and humility are products that you can't produce on your own. God changes hearts. He produces selflessness. He produces humility. Those are all products of changed hearts. You want your heart to be changed and you want your heart to stay changed then all you have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus, selfless, spending time at a well with a woman who happened to be husband happy. And Jesus said, and even the one you're living with right now isn't even your husband. I think you need some living water. whole lot of time at a well. Spending time with a red-faced disciple who had betrayed him, saying three times, Peter, but do you love me? Standing before a church council, bruised and beaten up and spit running down his face. And how about Jesus' humility, standing before Pontius Pilate? Oh, the big governor saying, Ah, what is truth? St. Paul says, although he was in the form of God and equal with God, he did not take advantage of this equality. Instead, he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, by becoming like other humans, by having a human appearance. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. And of course, how can we even conceive the creator of the universe being born in a barn? So, you know, um, during my studies this past week, I can uh, go about uh, trying to say, oh, give me some, you know, Pastor Robbie, think up some uh, nice descriptions of selflessness and humility. But, you know, there's always a temptation. I got the computer right in front of me. So I looked up some definitions for selflessness and humility. Pretty good, actually. Selflessness. Letting someone go ahead of you in line when you see that they are in a hurry. At work, mopping the floor, taking out the garbage when you really have seniority. Selfless actions are done unconsciously, doing something without getting anything in return, like listening to a friend when they need you. Humility. It's not meekness or mousiness. Humility, giving a ton of money without leaving your name as the donor. Humility, a real desire to discover what other people think and what they have to offer. Humility is an act of courtesy. So I asked this morning, and I asked myself too, Who's the helpless one in your life right now, on your personal list, that you might be thinking of, who needs your selfless action? Who's the one whom you might be able to help to trust the word more? Who's the one that you need to exercise humility with? Why don't you go find that person this week and go out and commit a flagrant act of kindness? A flagrant act of kindness, selflessness and humility. And when you do so, then say to yourself, you know, Lord, I'm not worthy to be doing this. Because you see, when you recognize that you are nothing, that's when God really makes you something. And then he, he, even God, is amazed at that. Amen. Please stand. Peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith this morning in the words of the Nicene Creed. and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We take this time to gather our tithes and our offerings and our connection cards.